All right, so what's up, everybody? How's everybody doing? First off, Shane, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Just got a fresh haircut, so I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Excellent. This is a big day for us, huh? This couldn't be a bigger day for 619. It could be a huge day. So, uh, well, first off, we just got to get used to having a conversation with each other, knowing that other people are listening. Yes, but we're having a conversation with them as well. Yes, they are. We can't hear them, they're but they're probably here. commenting. So, anyway... Uh, so we got a podcast, everybody, uh, hosted by your old third baseman turned right fielder, uh, Nicholas Casianos, and also our your closer old starter over here. turned closer. Turned closer. So we weren't we weren't good at our first jobs, and we got we got switched, and it's <laughs> and it's, and we're doing all right. So um, anyway, we had the privilege of starting our own podcast, and. Um, I feel pretty good about it. How do you how do you feel about it, Shane? I feel pretty good about it. I think it's going to be interesting. Um, you know, hopefully the people like what we have to say. But if they don't, maybe they'll listen for that too. Well, you know, well, let's let's give them a little story about how this came about. Um, so first, we got to give a big shout out to Brian Almonte for uh, for making this happen. And he was one of the guys working in the PR department. And uh, he he came up to Shane and I in in spring training. I think we had an early day, a, uh, an early workout day before the game started. And uh, we just all sat down. We probably had our, our post game meal in front of our post workout meal, mm -hmm. and was just talking about how how we can connect more with the fans. And uh, he had the idea of a podcast. He did. He said, we should do a podcast. And I thought to myself, I've never even heard a podcast. So I'm not 100% sure what that consists of, you know? I have, Well, yeah, I haven't heard anything of a podcast either. The only, the only podcast I've heard bits and pieces of is a good friend of mine back home uh, listens to the Joe Rogan podcast. And the, he has some pretty interesting people on there and talks about their life and, and, and their perspective on, on what, what's going on with them. But other than that, I have zero experience with uh, radio, podcasts, anything other than, than baseball. I don't have a lot of experience in. No. So... Same. Except for when the camera's in your face and they're asking you questions. Right. So I guess we have... kind of... But, that, but that's, uh, that's different because they have the material already prepared and, uh, and we're just rolling, answering the questions, usually about baseball. Very rarely do we ever get asked about questions other than baseball. Yeah, about life. So anyway, Brian sat down and asked if we'd be up for the challenge. And uh, Shane and I basically said, uh, yeah. But let's give it a shot. You know, what's what's the worst what's the worst that could possibly happen? Worst thing that could happen? You want me to answer that question? I mean sure, why not? Worst thing that could happen is people think that we're idiots. But but, but let, let's be real. They most of the time if we play bad they think we're idiots anyway. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so uh like I said, we got we got zero experience in, in radio, so we're we're winging this thing, you know, and we're not we're not going to pretend that we're we're professionals and have all these answers figured out. And this is some elaborate uh, podcast with a with a great, you know, education or, we're, or reason we're basically, behind we're, it. We're basically we're just winging this thing. Uh, we hope that our fans and and the community um, can embrace it and enjoy it, um, and kind of bridge that gap between us and them and. You know, people put us on a pedestal, and we're humans just like anybody else. So we just want to, you know, bring ourselves off that pedestal and, and try to relate to everybody else while they can relate to us. That was that was perfectly said. I, I would agree with that. So before we start getting anything else, why don't why don't we tell them a little bit about our about about ourselves? You know, so um, Jane, why don't you tell us a little bit about where you come from, your childhood? You know, where just tell us a little bit about Shane before baseball okay so i uh i grew up in orlando area in florida like 20 minutes outside of orlando smaller town um Did you go to disney world all the time i've been to disney world a lot i bet me too <laughs> i'm from miami, miami and mickey mouse all the time. me and mickey mouse are homies we've we've spent a lot of time together uh so my parents are my dad's actually from davie which is down by you that's where i live now yeah my mom is from alabama um smaller family we never had like family reunions or anything like that uh but i'm really close-knit with my family um and then you know i don't know about you but i've only played baseball my whole life like i played soccer and flag football at the ymca when i was like five or something but other than that only baseball well i'm i'm on that same page so uh 
you know, I, I only I only played baseball my whole life, and uh, I actually played. Well, I lied. Uh, I played about four games of soccer when I was about six because all of my friends at the time wanted to take a baseball season off and go play soccer. And uh, right in the middle of the season, I was like, "Dad, I'm tired of getting kicked in the shins." And we went and we signed up uh, late at another at another field. I think it was called PSN or something down in South Florida. So, so I'm from I'm from Miami Lakes, Florida. Um, born and raised there. And um, I was in Miami Lakes, and I went to uh, an elementary school in, uh, off of Miami Beach in Biscayne Boulevard called Cushman School. And then um, after sixth grade, my mom got a, an administrative job at American Heritage uh, High School, and then I went and moved over to Fort, closer to Fort Lauderdale. And uh, kind of been there, kind of been there ever since, and and reside in Davie, where Shane's dad's from. Yeah. So you got a brother, right? I do have but a brother, Ryan. But he's two years younger than you, he's, or older than you. He's two years younger than me. I have so I have, I have two siblings. I have a brother who is in the Detroit organization, who's 24, and then I have a beautiful younger sister who's 22, and uh, she, actually, I think just got a job with a dental office. So awesome. she, yeah, so she doesn't play baseball. Well, she played she played softball up until she, in ninth grade, and then quit. Okay. Yeah. Nice. So, when I was in high school, um, I'd imagine. <coughs> excuse me. I'd imagine when you were in high school, you were on varsity all four years. Well, American Heritage was a little different. So I, so I played junior varsity baseball in seventh grade. Okay. And our our ba- my high school baseball was an absolute powerhouse. So like people went there just for baseball. They said that so obviously recruiting in baseball in public school is illegal, but we were a private school, so you know, you could do a little bit of it. Yeah, we you paid a lot of money to go there, so the rules kind of bent for mm-hmm. you. But you know, just to say a couple names, you know, it was myself, Eric Hosmer, Adrian Nieto, Devin Marrero. Um, you guys were stacked. Yeah, we were we were stacked. We had we had some good amount of we had a good amount of talent on that team, and uh, so I played junior varsity baseball in seventh grade, junior varsity baseball in eighth grade, and then kind of similar to a September call up. Once the JV season ended, I got called to varsity in eighth grade. And then spent my four years on varsity there. What about yourself? Uh, so I played JV my freshman year. And at that point in time, I still played uh, a position. I was playing third base and right field, actually. Um, and then sophomore year, I made the varsity team. And I never played one inning. You didn't play one inning? I didn't play one inning. So were you a I was basically, manager? I was basically in the big leagues. And they would send me to AAA to make starts. And then I would just come back to the big leagues and hang out because I was on the varsity team, didn't play one inning, but once a week I would go and pitch for the JV team. But I never practiced with them. I traveled with the varsity team at all times, and I never pitched one inning for them. Did you get to wear your varsity jersey on game days around school? Yeah. That was the best yeah, part. Yeah, the best part. That was the <laughs> best part about uh, game days, especially when, when I was younger, like in eighth grade, ninth grade. Uh, Junior and senior year, I was kind of over it, but in the younger stages of, of high school, man, yeah. did I love rocking that varsity jersey. How cool jersey. were you when you put your Oh, man, on. I felt like the coolest kid ever. <laughs> the coolest kid ever. Um, no doubt. It's, it's, it's funny how, how, how long ago that is, but how it feels like yesterday. Oh, yeah. To say, to think about that my 10-year high school reunions coming up in two years is weird. What year did you graduate? So I graduated in 2010. I graduated in 2007. Well, you're older than me. I'm older than you. Did you go to your... Wait, so yours passed. Mine's passed. I did not go. Why not? Um, to be honest, I don't know exactly when it was or if we even had one, but um, I don't know if I would have went anyways. How come? A lot of people... A lot. I'm not good at faking anything, you know? And oh, if those, I know. Shane, and if, I know. And if those people were, like, actually in my life and friends, then I would be okay with putting on a smile and answering questions that they're going to have for me. But the whole conversation or every conversation I would have there would probably be a fake conversation anyways. Because if they actually cared about me, they would have reached out before the 10-year reunion. I can't argue with that. But do you think that – so are you curious at all to see uh, kind of where your old classmates would have been and what they were – like, what they'd be doing right now? Um, I hope it doesn't make me a bad person by saying no. I don't. But you hope they're doing great. I hope they are doing great. I hope that they're doing amazing. 
but um you know as you grow up life takes you down different roads and they're not on this road so um i've made other friends along the way like you and and other teammates that i've played with through the minor leagues and whatnot and if we were to have a a 10-year reunion with like ex-teammates i'd be there yeah sure no doubt. Well, hopefully one day we can have a World Series reunion. There you go. Would you go to that? I would definitely go to that. Yeah, me too. I'd go to that. I well, hope so. I I think I'm I think I I don't talk to a lot of the kids that I graduated in high school with, but I I'm, I'm probably gonna go to my ten year high school reunion. So so I didn't graduate from American Heritage. I graduated from Archbishop McCarthy. So I transferred high schools after my sophomore year, uh, and then went to Archbishop McCarthy High School down in in Davie, Florida. And uh, so, yeah, I, th- I think I'm going to be going. I'd like to see some of the teachers. You know, I didn't cause a lot of problems Were in the you classroom. Were the class clown? Not really. When I was younger, I was the class Did clown. Did you sit in the front or the back? I sat in the back. So you were kind of the class clown? Uh, no, I was the one who fell asleep. But I would listen. Like I would, I wouldn't cause a disturbance in the class. I would listen to the lectures. And then once I felt like I had enough information, I'd check out. Okay. You know, and I know that's not that's not the that's not well, that's the right th- thing to do. No, but it's not any better or worse than me jotting down notes and then never looking at them. You know. Well, but they say that if you jot it down, at least you have a better chance to remember it than if just listening to the notes. You know, yeah. I was I was the I was the son that my mom would consistently have to sit me down and force me to do my homework and say like, you know why don't you just try harder in school? You know, like, I don't know. It's just, I was all in on baseball from the beginning, you know? And I think a lot of, I would want to go there, not just to my, to my high school reunion I'm talking about, not just for so much my, my classmates, but also my teachers. Mm -hmm. Cause my teachers were also the first ones to say like, you know, you're banking on something that is never going to be a reality. Right. You know, they couldn't, they couldn't grasp what you were trying to grasp. Not really, you know, and it's and it's difficult to say it, but it's it's true in the sense that like I kind of always knew that that baseball was going to be my thing. I can't really explain why, you know, but ever since I was little, if somebody asked me what I wanted to do from five years old, I was like, well, I'm I'm going to play baseball. Mm-hmm. It's not I wanted to play baseball. It's I'm going to play baseball. Right. See, I was always I wanted to play baseball. No, so I was, was a little different. I was um I was going I was going to play you were baseball. Going to yeah. And you played year round in Florida because I I never stopped. I never stopped I either. Never stopped. We had you had I went I had some leagues where I would be in rec leagues and then I would be in travel ball teams in the summer, and then uh, when the rec leagues would stop, I would join a second travel ball team. So sometimes I had two different tournaments in two different places. And looking back on it, man, like. My parents had no life. No life. No life. They were taking me from one uh, park to the other. And remember, my brother was playing on teams too. So, you know, and my sister doing softball, you know. Now having a four-year-old, I I can say that I get it, but I don't fully get it. But, man, they, like, they didn't have a life. No. For, they did have a life, but it was just. Well, yeah. their, life was, their life was their kids. Correct. You know, and, and that's. I, we wouldn't be having this podcast right now looking at Comerica Park you know, reflecting on all this stuff if they didn't make that sacrifice. Correct. Or if they signed you up for, like, hockey or football. Yo, hockey is a tough sport, It's a tough sport, man. Hockey is a tough sport. I was extremely blessed that my parents signed me up for t-ball and not anything else because you've seen me run around out there. I'm not the most athletic guy. Well, you could throw a ball. I can throw a ball. You could throw a ball. It worked out pretty well for me. Yes, it did. So let's, so let's fast forward now. So let's go, let's go to professional baseball. So I've heard, I've heard your, uh, most of the fans know my story. You know, I was, I was what they call a front door talent, meaning that, you know, I came through the front door. I was the first round pick. I had the signing bonus. I had, you know, the expectations of that. Like I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to do this, Mm -hmm. but you know, I remember you told me your story in a hotel in Cleveland. I think it was in 2016 or 2015, and it's pretty incredible. So take take us to when you were on the backfields throwing a bullpen to your buddy who wasn't a baseball player and having his little sister hold the radar gun while your family friend slash scout for the Yankees was there. Okay, Go. so went to college for two years, played my freshman year, uh, had Tommy John surgery after my freshman year, transferred from that college uh, to Daytona Beach Community College for two reasons. Uh, One reason was because um, the college I went to my freshman year, 
uh, took my scholarship away after they realized that I needed surgery and told me I could earn it back when I could pitch again. And second reasoning, because Daytona Beach uh, was a little bit closer to home and I had an opportunity to do my, my rehab and whatnot there and use the facilities even though um, I wasn't on the team. So I did that. Um, rehab's over. Going into that summer, I'm about to play in the, the Collegiate Wood Bat League in Central Florida. Um, I have an old family friend who's a Yankee scout um, who's from the same area that I'm from. Um, between me and my dad both shooting him text messages and phone calls asking him if he could watch me throw a bullpen uh, to maybe talk to some universities around the state uh, to get him out to to watch me pitch during this collegiate wood bat league so that I could try to get a scholarship again. And we met at the field that I grew up playing on called Bishop Field in Claremont, Florida. Uh, my best friend was catching me. There, we put an L screen behind him and my dad and his dad were standing behind the L screen with his little sister holding a radar gun. And uh, the scout who ended up drafting me was standing down the third baseline watching me throw. And I was just throwing a bullpen. Um, he gave uh, my buddy's little sister, Hannah, a radar gun to hold. After a few pitches, he asked her, you know, how hard were those? She said 92. Nobody could really believe it because I had never thrown over 90 in my life. Um, after the bullpen was over, uh, Jeff asked me, you know, when, when I thought I could pitch off the mound again. And that was only my third bullpen post-surgery, so I really had no idea. I told him to give me five or six days. Um, so he did that, and five or six days later, um, he came back, met me at that field. He brought a, another scout with the Yankees with him. Uh, I threw another bullpen to my buddy. Same kind of setup, except his sister wasn't there, but both of our dads was th were there, along with Jeff and the other scout. Through that bullpen, they liked what they saw. They they invited me down for a pre-draft workout at the complex. I, I pitched in a extended spring training game down there. Um, first time facing hitters after surgery. Pitched well. Um, during that inning, I hit 94. First time in my life that I had thrown over 92, and the only time I'd done that was in those two bullpens with them. Uh, it was like 10 or 11 days later, they, they drafted me in the 15th round. And at that point in my life, it all happened so fast, I had no idea what was going on. I bet. Uh, I mean, you li you went from... from Having your scholarship taken away from you, yeah. then you're sitting here with a big cut on your arm, yeah. you know, not really knowing uh, what what lies next. I mean, and if you were like me, you know, you never really gave. Did you give much thought to what you would do if you weren't Without a baseball, baseball player? I had no idea. I went when I was going to school my sophomore year. I was just a student, and um i was never really good at being a student but i dedicated myself because i knew without school i couldn't play baseball and that was my passion so, so that so that clicked for you it clicked that saying like all right i'm gonna have to lock it in in school if i expect to continue to play baseball because they're not gonna hire just an athlete at this point correct so my sophomore year um was kind of a, a reality check for me because all my friends were still playing college baseball and here i am just being a student and that's when I kind of knew that um, I only had three years left, really, to, to, so that, so to that chase was the, that dream. So that was the first time baseball was taken away from you. Yes, yeah. my whole life. I played baseball year-round my whole entire life, and then, boom, you can, you're not allowed to play anymore. You can't play, but all your friends are going to keep playing. So the first time the base, baseball was actually ever taken away from me was in 2016 when I broke my hand. Yeah. So a little bit of a different situation. Yes. Like the stage a little bit different well, there. The stage was way different. So I don't know how a reactive baseball was taken away from me on that on that stage. Yeah, but you, you, you understand what I'm saying to the point where you have so much time to sit and watch all your friends play the game that you love and time to reflect on, you know, how you're going to attack your how situation much, when you get a chance me, to play. Let me ask you again. this question. How much, how much slower did life seem when baseball was taken away from you? Oh, my gosh. Dude, I had to go to school every single day. With no, with no idea if I was going to be able to play baseball again or not. And on top of that, no idea what I'm going to do in the real world if I have to face the real world, you know. Um, I was going to school for business um, basically because that's what all my teammates told me I should do when I was a freshman because the classes were easier so I could make good grades so I could play baseball. Um, and at that, that time, I was debating, you know, 
if if I have to be a real adult and get a real life job, what would that job be? The only thing I was good with was numbers. Um, so I thought maybe some sort of accountant or, or something along those lines, but luckily I never had to, to make that decision. Um, the Yankees drafted me and, and gave me an opportunity to chase my dream and they opened that door for me and here I am. So how, let me ask, so, so now being with the Tigers now, you've been with the Tigers since uh, 15. Mm-hmm. How, how, was, how was the Yankees organization coming up in their minor league system? What did they preach? Winning. And, how, uh, and what, what about winning did they preach? Like how, obviously winning, winning is the result that they want. Mm-hmm. So what was the equation that they were trying to instill in the players <clears throat> to continuously achieve that result? So coming up with the Yankees, every, every little detail mattered. Um, I don't know if the Tigers do it or not, but uh, with New York and the minor leagues, when you're going to or from the clubhouse, you have to have a colored shirt on, um, no T-shirts. Um, when you're at the clubhouse, you have to be um, not necessarily super professional, but um, they, they pretty much make sure you get your, um, your thoughts together pretty quickly. Um, there's no, no like super long hair, no facial hair, no jewelry on the field. Um, you know, and, and I, I came from um, the coaches I had growing up my whole life. They were, they were pretty hard on us, um, and I'm thankful for that because it, it allowed me to deal with things a lot easier than most um, while, you know, on my journey. Whether it's, you know, hey, you can't grow your beard out. Some people are like, oh, man, you know, like we're, we're locked up over here, you know, with no freedom. We can't do anything. But the reality is, is they were just they were they were prepping you for the big leagues. They were prepping you uh, to be a professional. They were taking a bunch of kids and trying to turn them into adults. And that's not an easy thing to do when you got 250 kids in, in, in one room. Uh, you know, with four baseball fields outside, and they're going out there to play a kid's game. So. And, and let's be honest, it's not like, uh, ath- you know, athletes, whether you come out of college or, or high school, have the most discipline anyway. Right. You know, uh, it, our, so Tiger Town was different. So my, obviously I came up through, through this organization, and I can't, so as soon as I signed my name on that piece of paper, when, when I, you know, officially all, all the deal got done, when the deal got done, I drove up to Tiger Town and I got dropped off in these, these dorms. You never, you never, have, never you, have you ever even seen those dorms? I don't know if I've actually seen them, but I kind of know like the direction that they're in. You know in. the direction of their end. So yeah. Tiger Town, you have, you have the old clubhouse because now, now it's beautiful. Yeah. You can't, don't, you got to forget what it looks like now because now it's, it's a vacation spot, Yeah, you know? Uh, but back in the day with the minor league side, that, that big 10 looking warehouse, that was the minor league, um, that was the minor league clubhouse where we put, you know, 150, 200 kids in. Uh, then you had the little rec room, which was also the English class for all of the kids that come from the DR in Venezuela. And then you also, then you have the cafeteria and then down the road a little bit more towards the lake. Uh, you have this what looks like a big block, concrete block with little windows, and it's um, Fetzer Hall. And what it is is that there's three floors, and uh, there's two bathrooms on each floor, and I'm not sure how many rooms there are. There are probably around 20 to 30 rooms on each side, and in every room, there's four beds. You got bunk beds, and each room has to be maybe, you know, 12 feet by 12 feet and they put four kids in each room and you know from going to high school and then going to 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 dormitory or or bunker 216 that was my very first uh room was a real was a real wake-up call because you think that as soon as you go to pro ball it's going to be this big glorious thing but it wasn't Mm -hmm. it was a grind you know uh, it's a reason why the minor leagues are called are called the jungle, mm-hmm. uh, because it was it was it was crazy. You know, you go into this little this little room, and then you got baseball stuff, and then when you're done, you just go right back into the room, mm-hmm. and then you got to figure out what 
what you like to do by yourself quick. That yeah, was at the, the f- same time you're a kid and you're growing oh, you're up. Oh, you're a kid. So I'm 18 years old. That was the first time I ever had to do anything by myself, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because usually I'd either have my brother or my parents with me or some friends, you know, but I'm sitting there having to go to Applebee's by myself, going to the movies by myself, uh, you know, figuring out how I'm going to get all of my laundry done, all this. So there's like, there's a big... So how old were you when you were in the minor leagues? Um, I got drafted in 2009, so I was 20. So you might have been 19, turned 20 that year. So I was so I was 18, and I couldn't have been more wet behind the ears. Mm-hmm. Couldn't have been. So, you know, it's for a lot of these kids. Like that's why I can't even imagine some of these kids that come over from the Dominican Republic, and and Venezuela at 16 years old, and all they know is this you know, country in this way of life. And then they get, they get sent straight over here. That's gotta be, that's gonna be very difficult for them. Yeah. It's got, I mean, that's like going to a new planet and playing the game that you played your whole life with a bunch of aliens that you can't even talk to, you know, they're coming over here. Well, yeah. They can't even go, they to, don't, they, they don't know the go to McDonald's and order without pointing at the pictures. So <laughs> that's a good point. And, and, they have English class set up for them, but it's not like they take it too seriously. Right. You know, because at, at that age, at 16, 17, 18 years old, they just want to go out there and take batting practice. And then they view English class as something that they have to do. No different than I viewed school at 18 years, Correct. 17 years old. Correct. So it's not like they're taking it serious. Correct. So, you know, so let's talk a little bit about going through going through your – so where are the stops that you had to make for the Yankees? Um, so when I came up, I, I played in the GCL my first year, which is the Gulf Coast League. Um, they consider it rookie ball. And then uh, the following season, um, I stayed in extended spring training again, and then I went to Staten Island for short season. Um, I played there, which was incredible. Um that was really the first time that I felt like I was playing professional baseball because you were finally in a stadium with, yeah. you know, ten thousand fans yeah. or whatever. Mine was mine was in Grand Rapids. Okay. So I, when I first so when I first got when I first got drafted, I only played about eight games of rookie ball. Then I had spring training, which mm-hmm. still felt like you know a baseball camp. You know, you wake up early in the morning, yeah. you go and you have your camp day all day. Even spring training games don't feel like real games. So it wasn't until West Michigan when I kind of felt like, man, this is this is a little bit of pro ball. And that season couldn't have felt any longer than what it did, because getting up and having to get used to competing every single day is a huge adjustment in itself. Oh, yeah. You know, because in, in amateur baseball, you got. I mean, maybe if you got a consistent league or during your high school season, you got maybe three games a week mm-hmm. with a bunch of practice and and fun in between, or like a tournament on the weekend, or a where tournament you play on the five w- games in three days yeah. or something. But you still have a lot of downtime. Correct. And I think a lot of a lot of in in ways you don't know how important that downtime is because that allows you to press that reset button. Mm-hmm. But in baseball, you know that we don't have time to press that reset button because it's every day, every single day, and and that was the challenge for me um, was. You know, I, I went basically a full year without playing because of Tommy John. And then next thing you know, I'm in pro ball, right? And I'm in I'm in the GCL and I'm playing with, you know, the 16-year-old Latin kids that are coming over that I can't even have a conversation with really because they don't know English. And I'm trying to learn a little bit of Spanish so we can at least be friends, you know? And then next thing you know, I'm in Staten Island. And when I grew up, I'd never been north of South Carolina or North Carolina. Like the north... To me, I was like Crocodile Dundee up there. You know, like <laughs> I, I'm now. Now I'm playing baseball in Staten Island, and the backdrop of that stadium is New York City. And I'm just like, I, f- I almost felt like like I did it. I made it. I'm playing professional baseball. Like we did it. You know. That was your. That was your. That, I made it yeah, moment. That was, where you're looking that was, at the city as the backdrop. Yeah, I'm like, holy cow, man! I'm really doing it. So it was. It was pretty special. It was. It was really special. And then I. I got moved up. Uh, towards the end of that year with like a month left because somebody got hurt. I got moved up to Charleston, um, played there, and that was a little bit more me, Charleston, South Carolina, you know, smaller town. Smaller town. Um, played there and then had a okay month and then repeated that level the next year. Uh, didn't pitch very well at all. And then the next year um, I got moved to high basically because somebody got hurt in spring training. So, uh, that door was open for me. Played there, didn't pitch well again, um, and then going into that next year, I knew that um, it was kind of make or break for me. I was getting old. I was like 
25 or 26 and I'm still in high A um, with, without ever being a prospect or having like a standout year or anything. So um, I kind of went into that season with a chip on my shoulder and, and I pitched really, really, really well. Uh, I got moved up to double A, finished the season there and then, um, you know, went to big league spring training the next year with the goal to, to make the team. So it was a, uh, it was a long journey to, to get to that point, but it all happened so fast um, because I went from, you know, repeating high A to having an opportunity to make the team um, as a bullpen guy the next, the following season. Um, for, for me, it was, it was a struggle, uh, you know, roller coaster ride up and down. Um, but, you know, I know it's not like that for, for every single player that gets to the big league. So, um, you know, what, what was it like for you when, when you got drafted and, and all these people had these high expectations for you that, that you have to live up to and, and deal with at such a young age? Well, what's funny is that the, the, the Detroit Tigers was literally the last team that I thought I was going to end up with. Um, just because of being kind of highly touted out of high school and stuff, you know, myself, my father, my mother, and at the time my advisor were going over the draft and, and who was lined up and the potential teams that needed an interest for me. And, you know, our first thoughts were was the Houston Astros at number eight. Um, then we had, we thought the, uh, the either, I think it was the Padres at 10. The Padres were at 10. Or no, the Brewers were at 10. I think the Phillies were like at 22 and the Giants were at 24. And I thought it was going to be the Giants. You know, even, you know, my agent was in com was in communication with them, just getting the bits and feels about what was going on there. And, and so much so that, like, I, I went and got a Giants hat. So did all my friends. You know, so, so in your head, you were already a Giant. So in my head, we were already a Giant. I was already going to be a, a San Francisco Giant. And... Uh, it's it, so then the day before the draft, you know, my agents was like, hey, you know, what about, you know, what about the Tigers? You know, we, we just got a call from from Al and he seems interested. And, you know, my first thing was like, well, when did they pick? And they were like, well, they picked 44. And I was like, no way am I going to 44? Like, why? So and he goes, oh, well, you know, whatever happens, you know, you just you never know. So um and it ends up coming and you know i end up sliding back to 44 and after after the giants pick went by after and the they didn't say nicholas castellanos how did you feel i'm going to college i'm going to be at the i'm going to university of miami okay you know and and that so it went to i'm going to sign professionally to oh no i'm not signing professionally i'm a, I'm a miami hurricane then back to uh you know when larry herndon came up and he announced my name it was it was crazy because and you know what? That's it's so funny how life works out because my mom's whole side of the family. My mom was born and raised in Michigan, and I'm. I, th I think the fans know, but I don't think they fully understand of how deeply rooted my family is in this in this state in this city. Um, so I had two sets of grandparents that are there. I had uh, my mom has three sisters, so they were there. Um, all of their kids were there. So I probably had. I'd want to say maybe 13 10 13 family members all of which are tigers fans long before they even knew that I, long before i was alive mm -hmm. so for for me to get drafted to their hometown team that was literally like a dream come true was, for them that was their they made it moment. so exactly so the draft day like i was happy but they were happier yeah. you know and uh that it was really cool, man. You know, to see my I mean, my grandmother's cried, uh, my my grandpa Dave who passed away, rest in peace. You know, he cried, mm -hmm. uh, and it was it was just it was just a beautiful moment. My mom cried too. You know, the first baseball game my dad ever went to was a Detroit Tigers game that my mom brought him to when he was doing his residency here in uh, in Michigan. I think That's it was crazy. in Ann Arbor or something. Yeah, so, so it was like a full circle. For full you. circle, full circle. So. Anyway, going up to the minor leagues, it was I was always the youngest one on the team, and uh, I spent a lot of time by myself because uh, all my other teammates were over 21. So guess what you get to do when you're over 21? Tell me. Well, you get to go out and you get to enjoy yourself. <laughs> so Nicholas was too young to enjoy himself. Right. So while all of my friends in, in high A and, and double A and triple A were, were enjoying themselves, you know, um, 
you know, I find my I found myself at the movie theaters a lot. By yourself. By myself. Going to eat and stuff by myself. You know, traveling around the country and stuff by myself. So you had a lot of time to reflect. So just just kind of just kind of thinking about it all and, and this this roller coaster that is the game and, and I thought it was it was funny how the higher you went, the more and more people cared that you've been doing something which you've been doing something your whole life. Mm-hmm all of a sudden now is that much more important. Mm-hmm. So, I, just, I don't know. I just I find that interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I, I find it extremely interesting that your full circle moment was the day you got drafted. Well, I think you're always creating your full circle moment. You know, like, I don't think if it, the, the thing about a circle is that it's it never, never stops, ending. you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, full circle, let's talk about right now. Let's talk about – so we, we've talked about both of our roads and kind of where we came from in a backstory from amateur baseball, childhood, this and that, growing up. But right now it's 2018. Right now we were in a – we're, we're playing for a team that when we first showed up to spring training, there was an article that came out that said the 2018 Detroit Tigers will for sure stink. Do you think we stink? I don't think we stink at all, man. Well, we might not smell good. <laughs> we might not Speak smell, for yourself, we man. Might I shower twice good. a day. Don't say that on the but, podcast. But – uh, we're playing some good baseball, man. We got we got a group of guys down there that, um, you know, we have a lot of fun. And I and I think that as fans, when you guys are watching uh, baseball and playoff baseball specifically, um, these teams, man, they're having the most fun you could ever have on a baseball field. That's that's when it reminds you that it's a kid's game. You know, one hundred, one hundred percent, man. And I think, and I mean, you you can quote me if I'm wrong here, but I think in years past we didn't have that we didn't have that kids game mentality we had we had the you know we have these guys in the team so we're supposed to show up and win right everybody expected us to show up and win the world series and and when we got here and we struggled we didn't know how to deal with it and we had players like me and you and some of the other younger guys who who haven't been around for 10 years um and and dealing with those expectations that weren't met um you know it was it was difficult i think not only for the superstars but for the guys that were brought here to support those superstars you know um i think the last couple of years we we've learned a lot about ourselves because of that and here we are sitting in a booth with a podcast trying to explain to everybody you know that um life's a crazy thing and we're humans you know and we're going to learn along the way and everything's a process and and this for us is just a part of it it's a part of the process and i think the best thing about this team is that um we we do believe in the process you know 100 percent. i think that with this clubhouse that we have right now everybody checks their ego at the door absolutely everybody checks their ego at the door and everybody wants to win and the guys who who get taken out of the game or who aren't playing that day or whatever are still cheering on their teammates and want them to do just as good as if they were playing correct they're just as happy for the guy that hits a double that's not themselves as they were or would be if it was themselves that hits the double so it's it's pretty special to be around it's pretty funny sitting on sitting on the plane i remember we were joking around we were like we got to get the superstars out of the way to let the kids play you gotta let the kids you gotta let the kids play and you know what we're playing and we're having fun and we're learning you know let's absolutely so let's talk about let's talk a little bit about everybody who's who's showing um, signs that they're getting it. First off, let's talk about Matthew Boyd. I was going to bring him up because he kind of lives in the shadows, you know. We got a guy named Michael Fulmer who's proven himself um, from the day that he's gotten here, and we got a guy named Jordan Zimmerman who's been around and done some things himself, um, you know. So he kind of lives in those guys' shadows a little bit. Um, but he's but it look, but this year, ever since he showed up in spring from pitch one, man, he. He's creating his own shadow. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. He's, I mean, the guy's a, a fierce competitor. Um, you know, he does his homework. He's one of those guys where if you really, really pay attention to what he does every single day, he, he's on a mission. Um, he's got his own program. And you know he's got, you know he's on a mission when um, people ridicule him and, and maybe disagree with some of the things he does as a part of his program. But, but he doesn't let that phase him. He doesn't let that phase him. He doesn't let that phase him and he, he stays, and he stays doing it. And that's all it is. Absolutely. Whatever whatever you're doing, you just got to believe in it 100%. Absolutely. And it's going to benefit you. Absolutely. How much do you think that having Liriano here, Boyd could have seen his routine? Because let me tell you, Liriano's got probably the best work ethic I've ever seen. Oh, man, that guy's a ninja. 
He's a silent assassin. He doesn't say much. No. He pulls up to the clubhouse in his really nice Ferrari. <laughs> really nice. Really nice like Ferrari. Oh, man. I mean, I would never buy that because that's too much money. And it would that would give me anxiety spending that much money on something that I could crash. <laughs> okay. But, uh, but he pulls up. He's always dressed nice. Doesn't say much. And just goes to work. Business. Absolutely. And uh, it's... It's it's fun to watch. You know who has a great work ethic is uh, Joe Jimenez. Absolutely. That let me tell you something about Joe Jimenez. That guy came up last year with all those expectations about how great he's going to be and all this and that, and he struggled right off the bat. And being here and watching him deal with those struggles, um, you know that that guy showed up to the field every day as the same exact person and worked his tail off and knew that he belonged here, and I think he's finally uh, proving to everybody else that he does belong here. Well, let me tell you. So, first off, he handled struggling last year like a champion. Absolutely. Like, like a, a champion. Vet. Like a 10-year veteran. He would come in, he would lose the game, he would, he would get, you know, smacked around, and he would come in and he held, it, he held his, his head high. He never pouted. He never threw things. He never showed any sign of, of defeat, mm-hmm. ever. And let me also tell you something. So, when he came out and he uh, pitched in Texas this year, I think he punched out the side, or maybe he threw four and punched out. Anyway, he struck out everybody he faced. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was right after uh, Alex Wilson went on the DL with his foot thing. And uh, he goes to Joe, and he's like, hey, man, like you know, you could smile a little bit. And he goes, no, man, always the same, no matter what, always the same. And that was a day that I, I think I missed that game, too, because I got hit in the knee, and I was dealing with uh, some inflammation. And uh, that was when I looked at him, and I was, I was like, this kid. He's got it. This kid has got it. Yeah, absolutely. This kid has got it. Um, how about Leonis Martinez? That was that was my next question. What what a presence that guy is just to have every every ultimate, single day. The ultimate clubhouse guy, the ultimate dugout guy, the ultimate locker room guy. Um, and it's because he doesn't shut up. He doesn't shut up. He doesn't shut up. But that's why he's so good at what he does. And when I mean why he doesn't shut up, this is how he sounds with everything <laughs> he says. Absolutely. Come on, guys. You got it. Hit the ball. And he never stops. Never stops. Never from stops. the first inning, from, from BP, from, from BP until the ninth inning, he's he's yelling something at somebody. Absolutely. And if there's not, if, there, if he's not yelling at a teammate, he's yelling at the umpire. He's yelling at somebody. And if he's not yelling at the umpires, he's yelling at the coaching staff. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> he's, I think they call those guys glue guys, and I couldn't, I couldn't be happier that he's here. There's no doubt about that. Uh, Candelario's been doing really well. Really well. He, Let me tell you something about that guy. He hits balls off the bat that I'm like, oh, that's a fly ball to center field. And then he goes 480 feet. He's got some strength. It's it's pretty he's special. He's got some strength. Yeah, it's pretty special. Nico Goodrum? Nico. They call him way back Nico because he hits balls way back. I tell, I used to, I would tell Nico every day in, in spring training, man. Uh, I said, hey, I'm just letting you know that you're, you're 6'3", 230, switch hitting playing all nine there's nobody else out here doing that nobody no one else out here is switch hitting playing all nine you know yeah he's he's a special talent he's actually he's he's a pretty quiet guy himself when he goes about his business um i don't know if he's actually warmed up to to us as as much as he's going to um well he's 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 a a listener he's oh my god a big time listener he's a listener and you know how i could tell he's he's a he's a really good listener because he has a really good relationship with his mother yes he he like talking about how him and the like just picking his brain about the things that him and his mom would talk about and and like the life lessons that he would instill anybody that has a really good heart to heart connection with their mom is a good listener absolutely i didn't become a decent listener until <laughs> last year <laughs> Your baby steps it's a process it's, right it's, it's a, a process. process it's a process i was like my dad my dad's not a good listener my dad is the smartest man i've ever met he's a physician and i love him dearly and there's no way i'm playing baseball behind him but sometimes i feel like i'm talking to him and he's not listening <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny uh, let's talk about let's talk about uh, the coaching staff. Let's talk about um, Gardy and so before I think before we start talking about this coaching staff, by no means did we have anything negative to say about last year's coaching staff. No, absolutely because not. Brad is 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 probably one of the smartest people I've ever been around. Absolutely, um, you know Omar Vizquel has has his resume speaks for for itself for itself. Uh, you know, Matt Martin is probably one of the most influential coaches that I've ever had, and I still have a great relationship with. Absolutely. But now, 
this coaching staff that we have this year is a very good one. Yes. And I, th- and I think for us going into the offseason, uh, knowing that there was going to be a lot of changes, and, and, you know, you've been here longer than me as a Tiger, but, um, you know, it, we knew it was going to be a new chapter, not only in our life because it's a new season, but in our baseball life. You know, we didn't know who was going to be walking around the clubhouse. It's a brand new as, chapter. As, it's a, as it's, a leader. It's not just a brand new chapter. It's a brand new story. Absolutely. It's a whole brand new book. Absolutely. And I think Al and David did a great job uh, with with choosing this coaching staff and choosing Guardy because Guardy's been through it. You know, Guardy's been through the rebuild in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And and I got to when I went to Tory Hunter's place this offseason, I picked him, uh, picked his brain a little bit about Guardy. He goes, he's a he's a big time players manager, and he's great at communicating with his players. And he is. He is. He's he's the type of guy uh, that players players don't want to take a day off because because of him. You know, they want to run not. through the wall for him. Absolutely not. So it's pretty it's pretty special stuff. And when we do go on that little skid, he's the first one in the clubhouse yelling and saying, "Don't worry about it. You know, wash it down in the shower or wash it down the drain." And and we got another one tomorrow. Absolutely. And and with young with young kids, you know, a young team, you need to hear that. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's a way different feel when he comes in there and and says something, whether it's. Uh, constructive or, or celebratory instead of you know guys on their phones or, or already in the shower or whatnot but but Gardy man he if we lose he's the only manager I've ever been around that blames himself and he didn't play one second you know not one second so it's it's pretty special and I think it's it's great for the team and it's great for the city really uh, the whole city can rally around that guy well ideally we want the whole city to rally around us and and that brings us to why we're doing this podcast. Why are we doing this podcast? So if um, so, six one nine pod is our is our Twitter handle, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know anything about social media. It's written out. It's written six out. So six one nine pod is our Twitter handle, and yes. if you look at it, it's. Uh, to bridge the gap between all minds. And what that sees is, is what that means to Shane and I is, uh, Shane and I would, would probably describe ourselves as some, as we, I, we don't watch a lot of TV. Let's just say it that way. We, we spend a lot of time talking and thinking and trying to come up with solutions. And we think that, um, that we want to bridge the gap between the fans and the players to let them know that that there's a lot more to us than just the number that that you see on our on on the back of our jersey and um you know moving forward hopefully if management hears this pilot episode and they like us hopefully and they, they say hopefully hopefully they'll give us a go but you know we want to continue to to give you guys our perspective we want to to continue to allow you guys to relate to us because let me be honest you know like my story is no greater than anybody else's. I just happen to play baseball. No different than the the media people that are helping us do this broadcast right now. No Absolutely. different than Shane. No different than the people that help us to, to get this field ready for us every day. Absolutely. And, and, every, and everybody everybody that, that's been around, you know, everybody has their own struggles. And we want to kind of bring them together and, and help everybody realize that no matter what it is that you do for a living, you're still human and, and you still have emotions that everybody else has has um you know the the guy that's been working the gate at the stadium for 60 years what what is this team in this city meant mean for him him, you know mean for him let me tell you so there's there's a, a security guard named pete that i didn't even know uh i didn't even know existed but this gentleman knew who my son was and started making my son a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for him every day and um you know it now I'm I have a relationship with Pete because I took interest in those little things and his job uh, for being that security guard and, and taking pride in what he does and making those PB and J's and connecting with people absolutely which is another thing connecting with people and treating everybody as as someone in their circle exactly everybody is in your group and and we want to continue to to give that light to everybody and and know that you know in this beautiful city and especially with these guys on the team that hey we're we're in your group man you know and um our 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 idea for our next episode was to have our moms on here with us and just to talk give crap everybody give a every, bit of perspective exactly so it's going to be embarrassing for us but i think it's good <laughs> because you know before we start getting hopefully into the meat and potatoes of potentially having what we'd like to have al on here guardy on here uh trammel on here you know uh before we get into that we we think that having our moms on this show would be just as important. Absolutely. You know, 
Yeah, we we our main our main focus I think uh that we want everybody to understand is that we just want to give people another perspective. Um like Nick said, you know, we're 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 more than just a number on our back or or Nick's batting average or my ERA, you know, we're humans and and we have families and and we live on this planet together and so we we want to just bring that bring that feel to to uh, to fruition is that a word to be honest I don't know my don't education know. stopped in high school man there you go well I went for two years but I didn't pay attention that much that's why we're here and we have no idea what we're doing with this podcast but we're gonna we're gonna wing it we're gonna give it everything we got and we hope that everybody enjoys it but one thing that we do know is that we all have the same goal absolutely. whether we're wearing a jersey or you're a fan in the stands we all want to win a world series absolutely and we need everybody on that same page you know we need everybody out here we need all positive energy we need all good vibes and um you know, I think we, we we can create those good vibes if we understand one another. And we we not just understand where we are right now, but where we came from and, and where, where we want to go. And where we want to go. And where we want to go. So um, wrapping this up, uh, we're, so we're going to do a segment uh, called our two-strike approach. And uh, that's going to be a, a difficult question that, that Shane and I come up with for our guests. And uh, today is our first two-strike approach. How do you think we're going to handle this? And what's going to be the hardest part? I think the hardest part for me is going to be uh, opening up to somebody that's not sitting in front of me. Um, you know, to I've I've always kind of been known as the shy guy or, you know, the not show much emotion guy or hard to get a lot of answers out of guy. Um, so for me personally, it's going to be to open up and get past those barriers. But I think um, as a podcast, um, it's going to be most difficult to, to keep everybody's interest. Um, you know, as, as we go from episode to episode, but hopefully, you know, hopefully everybody that hears us, um, you know, wants to hear what we have to say and wants to hear what we have to say next time and kind of snowball effect. That's a good answer. What do you think? I think the hardest thing that, that we, that we face is to get everybody to connect with one another. Mm -hmm. And that's a very difficult thing, Absolutely. you know, because, you know, whether you're, you're black, white, uh, Blue Jays fan, Tigers fan, Democrat, Republican, American, Middle Eastern, Bohemian, whatever. You're a human being. Absolutely. You know, and we're all, uh, no one is more important than anybody else, regardless of their bank account, job title, um, anything. And uh, that's, that's kind of what I want to bring with this podcast. And that's what I want to try to, to, to preach. Mm -hmm. And I think that's going to be an extremely difficult task. It is. I think I think it's going to be extremely difficult, mainly because the society that we live in uh, wants to separate people by, you know, their jobs. And, and as you can go as far as social media. If you have a blue check next to your name, now you're more important than the guy who doesn't have the blue Agreed. check next to their name. Agreed. So it's going to be it's going to be extremely difficult. But I think uh, I think with everybody with everybody else's help and, and thoughts and opinions, we can we can make it happen. So moving forward, granted, we get approved. Granted, they don't shut us down uh and they give us the green light to continue making these we are going to make t-shirts uh so it's it's going to be 619 t-shirts that anybody can order a hundred percent of anything that we generate is going to be donated straight to charity um uh, to the big family of Michigan is the uh, charity that I've been working with uh and donating along the way since uh you know, being a rookie here. So that's that's a place that's very close to me and close to my heart. Um, another thing that I want to give a shout out to is uh, Jack's Place for Autism with uh, Jim Price. Mm -hmm. He does a great job and, you know, uh, he's very passionate in what he does and he's he's had a good impact and you know I know moving forward there's going to be some other people that I want to give me shout outs to their charities or their things like that and and by all means you know everything is important everything means a lot to us and, and we want to get out the good word for as much as possible for all the fans text twi twitter what is it tweet us tweet us man. tweet us i've never had a twitter so you gotta cover some slack tweet us tweet us uh things that you'd like to hear us talk about tweet us questions uh again the twitter handle is 619 pod all written out no numbers good all right so i think that wraps it up guys so uh everybody out there lead with love and uh see you next time yeah see you next time